I was uh, seriously contemplating trying to come up with a fake on-air persona for today whose name would be something like Doug Blanstrom, or possibly his name would be something like Cecil B. Taylor Schmidt, and he would be a very slow-talking cowboy-like individual with a very low voice. But in fact, ladies and gentlemen, this is just Gio Benedetti with a serious head cold. What in the world happened? I don't know. Woke up in the morning, and this is just how I was talking. So I made the best of it, of course. I, uh, I immediately booked studio time, called up a field uh, big guitar player and a harmonica player, and I'm going to go record a blues album. And it's going to be called... Doug Blanstrom sings the blues. And the first song is going to go like this. Well, it was a long and lonely Sunday morning. Because I can't do that when, uh, when my voice is normal. So, you know. Hey, finding the silver lining. Yeah, cold or no cold, I'm not going to let that stop my dreams. And I believe you are all very familiar with my dreams by now. My dreams of becoming... The modern-day embodiment of Mr. Shell Silverstein. Combined with Roald Dahl. We added Roald Dahl recently. Come on, guys, pay attention. you got to remember this stuff. Also, I'm in the studio by myself today. No Stella, no Emmy, no Neighbors, no Leah, no Maya, no Jenny. They're all hanging out at home. They're probably sipping sweet tea out on the back porch. Out on the veranda overlooking the swamps of New Orleans. Or not. They might just be here in Petaluma enjoying a lovely Sunday afternoon. How are you guys doing? Hello, Petaluma. Hello, 103.3 FM, KPCA-LP, Petaluma, California. I can't wait to share some of the stuff that I, we cooked up over these last weeks. But I am, I am, my mind is all a jumble. It's one of the things that happens when you become a little bit infirm from the germs, from the fevers. And what I was trying to explain was that I wanted to be Shel Silverstein. And so what I did, and maybe my most blatant ripoff to date, is I wrote a poem about being sick. And uh, Shel Silverstein has a, has a lovely poem about being sick in his book, um, his collection, uh, Where the Sidewalk Ends. So I just stole the rhyme scheme and the idea. I might have even stolen some of the rhymes. I didn't check it. So, Shell, if I stole it all, I'm sorry. I only meant to steal most of it. Here we go. This is a poem called, I Think I'm Sick. I'm feeling ill. I think I'm sick. Please take me to the doctor quick. I've got a cold, a runny nose. There's rashes on my knees and toes. My eyes don't work. They're growing dim. Survival odds are looking grim. I just lost feeling in my tongue, my teeth, and... Fingernails numb. Last night was rough. I couldn't sleep with fires burning in my feet. My stomach ache is legendary. My elbow tips are growing hairy. It's tough to move. My body aches. My ears and neck have got the shakes. Please be brave, Mom. Dad, don't cry. I'm very likely going to die. It's not for certain. It's not for sure. And I've heard there may be a cure. A cure that works, believe you me, one million scientists agree. The cure is this, here's how it goes. 
all-day prescription TV shows. Video games from noon till five is the only way I'll stay alive. And a diet that is mostly candy or cookies, if you've got them handy, to drink only lemonade or else for me an early grave. So, fluff my pillows, bring my juice. There's not a moment left to lose. Crank the volume, loading game. The only way to cure my pain is cookies, candy. Bring them quick or else I'll be forever sick. But let's not forget our patients, too, for all the good that this cure can do. It's not the fastest remedy. Could take a year or could take three. I could be laid up years and years, but don't you worry. Don't you fear. As long as we stick to the cure, I'll get better. Better for sure. Ah, yes. Oh, yes, movies. Candy. Video games. And I shall be right as rain. I just made that rhyme up here live on the air, you guys. That wasn't even planned. Wow. Shel Silverstein, I can feel your spirit upon me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, enough of this poetry tomfoolery. It's time to hear from our sponsors. And if you're not sure what to do with your fall, if you're not sure where to go with your family, if you're not sure how to have a good time, check out this message from our sponsors. Yes, Cheeseland, the only amusement park in the world dedicated entirely to cheese. Why, we're so dedicated to cheese that we even built the park, yes, the whole park, out of cheese. Ride the grilled cheese coaster through the Cheddar Forest. Plunge down Gorgonzola Mountain in the perilous Crumbler. Come over to Goat Island and slide through the Chevra Hills. Play in the crumbled Fettle Bowl. Experience the thrills and spills of the Nacho Express. Take your someone special for a romantic float down the Fondue River. Yes, Cheeseland. They said, don't do it. It'll be disgusting. But we didn't listen to them. Five acres of wall-to-wall cheese. Parmesan pathways. Take the Manchego Tram. The Jack Cheese Wading Pools. We recommend that you bring... Several changes of clothes, and try to come on a day where the temperatures don't get above 50. Yes, if you love cheese, I mean really love cheese, then Cheeseland is the place for you and your family. <laughs> so, uh, how nice does the uh, crumbled feta bowl sound to play in? Let me just tell you that if you go there, you're going to want to bring not just a change of clothes, but bring some rubber boots and um, make sure you book uh, your room at a nearby hotel that uh, has extra strong soap and scrubbing brushes. That's what we learned on our trip to Cheeseland. Um, I'm going to be totally honest, and I know they're a sponsor, but uh, not as fun as the ad makes it sound. Uh, A lot of it is just avoiding uh, the terrible smell of cheese and all the other people there that are covered in cheese. But eh, neither here nor there. You know what we should talk about? You know what we really ought to be talking about? We here at Benedettiville have a little book club, and we like to read a chapter book and a picture book. And I'm not going to lie, it's a little bit haphazard, but uh, we last week had just gotten a new book that we were all excited to read. Um, And I'm going to tell you about it as soon as we get our super awesome intro music for our book club. Here we go. 
even in weeks where there's absolutely no news in the Benedettiville Book Club, we're going to play that theme probably two or three times just because I like it. Yes, Benedettiville Book Club. Well, anyway, the book that we got last week was The Witches by Roald Dahl. Turns out that the book The Witches by Roald Dahl might be his spookiest book that he's ever written. And we got about through the first chapter before we realized that this was not necessarily going to be the before bedtime book of choice for the Benedetti household at this time. And so we're on the hunt for a new book. Do you guys have any book recommendations? Call in. Let me know what those book recommendations are. Did you guys know we have a phone number? We do. It's in here somewhere. And as soon as I find it, I'll tell you what it is. It's 707-981-7577. Tell us what book we should read. We need a new chapter book. We could use a new picture book, too, but... Um, we had uh, we we went to the library and got a real cool stack of picture books, so we're we're cruising through those. But what's a good chapter book? All right, that's nine eight one seven five seven seven. You can also just call if you have any good home remedies like um, lemon juice and honey, or what kind of tea is the best tea to drink when you're fighting the cold. I'll take anything. I'll take that advice too. Um, here in Benedettiville, you guys, we stumbled onto a, a really pretty mysterious and magical thing. One of the, the questions, the very first question, perhaps, of the day, every day, what's for breakfast? That's what the kids want to know. They want to know what's for breakfast. And we've been revolving through kind of like the same thing. We had cereal, we had oatmeal, we had eggs, and then for the special occasions, we had a revolving array of, excuse me, uh, pancakes, maybe a waffle, maybe some French toast, depending on what we got in the pantry? Well, in an effort to get a little bit more wild around breakfast time, and in an effort to get my Dungeons and Dragons vibe a little bit more tied in to our everyday family shenanigans, I made a breakfast chart. One hundred options of breakfast. That's not actually true. There's probably about thirty options of breakfast. But the cool thing is that you go down to your local comic book store, you get a, some of those dice, the percentiles, and then you can roll. And when you roll, every time you roll, you're, you're charting what's going to be for breakfast. So we have a website. It's benedettiville.com. And if you go there right now, you're not going to see that breakfast chart because I haven't put it on there yet. But I'm going to put it on there because that breakfast chart is so fun. And we can share that. And then you guys can have the breakfast chart or make your own. Make whatever kind of chart. If you have a six-sided die and you guys like six things for breakfast, put it on there. Figure out what's going to be for breakfast through the rolling of the dice from chance. Lady luck. The crazy thing is that there's a 10% chance to get pancakes, according to my chart. And guess how many times we've gotten pancakes in 12 days? I'll tell you. You don't even have to guess. We've had seven pancake mornings in 12 days. That's over 50%. What's the deal? My kids have some kind of magic dice rolling powers that lands on pancakes more than half the time. That was not the way that this breakfast chart was supposed to work, people. What's going on anyway? All right. So that's one of the pieces of news from Benedettiville, our breakfast chart. The other piece of news that I was really excited to share was we met some really nice people. And these nice people that we know all like to sing together. 
And when they sing together, they call themselves the Rivertown Voices. And so I got to write some music for them to sing. And then they sang it. And this is what it is. It's, uh, it's those little radio jingles for KPCA Radio. And this is what it sounds like. Check this one out. This is maybe my favorite one. Numbers on. You gotta check this one out too. 103.3 KPCA. <laughs> oh, man, music is pretty fun, eh? All right, enough of that stuff. I know, I know. It's really fun for me. I hope it's fun for you guys too. Um, I'd, oh, oh, the lights on. The lights on. We gotta get to another sponsor. And after our sponsor, we'll get to uh, the first half of our story for today. So let's get. Let's get over to them sponsors, and then uh, story time. Here we go. Ketchup, ketchup, ketchup. It's just so red and tasty. Ketchup, ketchup, ketchup. I get it on my face. Ketchup, ketchup, ketchup. I buy it at the store. Just when you think you've had enough of ketchup, have some more. It's ruby red and succulent. It's best with French fries or anything potato. We have any shape or size. Put it on your sandwiches. Put it on your eggs. Smear it on your body, on your tummy, on your legs. It's zingy, tangy, sweet and thick. It's best right from the bottle to get each drop, you have to bang and shake and squeeze and throttle. I have a cup for breakfast and a thermos full with lunch. At dinner time, I grab it on whatever's there to munch. I brush my teeth with ketchup. I put it in my tea. I'd like to sail a ketchup bottle on a ketchup seed. I take a bath in ketchup. It's also my shampoo. I feed some ketchup to the animals when I go to the zoo. Ketchup, ketchup, ketchup. It's just so red and yummy. Ketchup, ketchup, ketchup. I chew ketchup flavored gummies. Ketchup, ketchup. Ketchup, ketchup, I eat it off the floor. Just when you think you've had enough of ketchup, have some more. Have some more ketchup, everybody. Man, how great is ketchup, really? Some time ago, with the help of uh, our daughters, Stella and Emmeline, the idea for this story came up. At the time, they were uh, selling these really cool little uh, plush toys with a cool little sewing kit. There was a fox, a parrot, and a turtle. And through whatever magic that the ideas for stories possess, this idea sprouted up and got turned into this year's story. It is called The Sly, the Eye, and the Armor. And it begins like this. I imagine that if you are like most other kids I know, you have dreams. You probably have all kinds of dreams. Wild, wonderful, exciting, terrifying, weird, boring, fuzzy dreams. If this is the case, and I'm hoping that it is, because dreams are wonderful, magical things, then you can probably sympathize with the young girl of our story, little Miss Ruby Scotts. Ruby was seven years old, and she had dreams. Oh, my, what dreams she had. It didn't seem to matter if they started out strange or fuzzy or sweet or delightfully wonderful. They always seemed to end with some terrible monster scaring the hair out of her head and waking her up in a sweat, panting like mad, scouring the room for any sign of danger. And this had been going on for about three years. 
It was so regular by now that Ruby began to very much dislike bedtime. She had big, dark bags under her eyes from sitting on her sheet, surrounded by her safety circle of nightlights and humming, reading, singing, talking to herself, doing just about anything she could to stay awake. Her parents and the doctors that they had gone to had tried lots of things. They had tried teas, they had tried tinctures, they even tried sleeping pills, acupuncture, all sorts of different things, but no matter how deep, how drowsy the sleep, no matter what the remedy they tried, she couldn't seem to escape the nasty intrusion of some monster or another to her dream. Tentacles, claws, big teeth, lots of little teeth, one eye, ten eyes, no eyes, wings, paws, tails with claws, spikes, spots, fur. She had seen so many monsters at this point that she had a notebook next to her bed. She had started drawing the monsters that she saw and writing down what she remembered about them. She gave them names such as Big Spikes McGrowley, and then the note likes to come charging from far off with a loud roar. Or there was Witchbeard the Cackler with the note, you'll know it's her by her awful cackle, always trying to trap me in a cage or an oven. There were pages and pages of this stuff. She would even make note that she saw the same monster twice or three times or more. There was one monster, one thing, on the last page of her notebook that was the worst of all. She called it the nightmare. It didn't look like anything. It was just dark. But it got every last one of her fear nerves to ringing and jangling like nothing else. Oh, she hated that dark, black nothingness and it scared her to even think about it. Which was why she was always trying to stay awake, which is why she was always so very, very sleepy. It was one such sleepy afternoon after her mother had picked her up from school that she found herself yawning through a thrift store on the outskirts of her small town. It was a ramshackle little store. It didn't look like people organized the store so much as just made giant piles of stuff with paths in between. Her mother was digging through a pile of sweaters and what looked to be old cuckoo clocks. Ruby found herself wandering. She passed old socks, hats, shoes, board games with missing pieces, ancient radios and televisions, golf clubs, and spider-webby old bags. She tripped over a hockey stick that had fallen across the path. She reached out to steady herself and fell headlong into a pile of shirts, vests, and feather boas. The great pile of kid and clothes fell and a soft, dusty heap on the floor. When Ruby got up and dusted herself off, she saw that her fall had brushed the clothes off an, an old trunk, a trunk that looked like it had come straight off of an old pirate ship. She imagined gold and coins and jewels inside as she reached to pull open the lid. Inside it was dark, dusty, and nearly empty. The only thing inside was a small box. The label was in a language that she couldn't read, but it looked, from the pictures, like a sewing kit. There was a drawing of a needle, thread, and three small stuffed animals on the box. The box miraculously looked unopened. Dusty and dirty, like it had been buried in a weird thrift store inside an old pirate trunk for forever and a day, but still in its plastic-coated wrapper. Now, this may sound strange to someone who has never felt a strange sewing box, thrum through their body, but that is exactly what Ruby experienced holding the dusty box. It was a thrum, like a very small energetic cat was purring inside the sewing kit. It was a wonderful feeling, and Ruby suddenly wanted very much to open the box. 
What did you find, Ruby? said a voice behind her. Ruby jumped. She found that constant nightmares had made her a bit jumpy. It was just her mom. Oh, Mama, I think it's a sewing kit. Can we get it, please? I have money saved for my birthday, and I can sweep the floors, and I can feed the dog, and... A sewing kit? Her mom gasped, interrupting a giant smile on her face. Yes! We'll have a sewing party tonight! Ruby's mom really loved crafts. A sewing party didn't sound like the best type of party to Ruby, but anything that would keep her out of bed for another few minutes was just fine with her. They took the sewing kit and a few shirts that Ruby's mom had found to the counter paid and headed home. Ruby opened the package as soon as they were in the car. There were assorted and cut colored pieces of felt, a small bag of extra soft stuffing, buttons of different shapes and sizes and colors, thread, and a needle. Also, an instruction book. Thankfully, the instruction book had wonderful pictures because the writing on the pages was the strangest, scritchiest kind of thing that Ruby had ever seen. It didn't look like any writing that she had seen before. There were three parts to the book. Instructions for each of the animals that you could make with the materials. A fox, a parrot, and a turtle. She picked up the needle. It shone. It didn't just shine because there was sunlight coming through the car window. It really, actually shone. Ruby held it carefully in her cupped hands and peered her eye into the dark cavern that she had made with her hands. The needle shone with a soft, warm light, like it was a tiny, pointy moon. As she stared at it, she thought she could see tiny, unbelievably small carvings on the needle, more shapes and writings carved into the shiny metal in the same strange language as was on the box and in the instruction book. The thrumming was very strong. Her hands were vibrating and wobbling and buzzing with the energy of that shining needle. Ruby was very excited. She wasn't sure what was going on or how to explain it, so she kept these feelings to herself for the time being. Also, her mom was blasting music in the front seat and singing quite well at the top of her lungs. It was not a good time for an interruption. After school playtime was spent organizing the materials of the kit. Ruby went through each chapter, fox, parrot, and turtle, countless times, arranging the needed pieces of felt, buttons, threads, and stuffing for each. The sewing was ready to begin, when it was, finally, dinner time. Her father had since come home from work, and dinner that night was a warm, hearty beef stew, which was great, if you liked beef stew. Ruby did not. She pecked at a stewed potato, ate one stewed carrot, munched a salad, and gobbled a slice of bread and butter, then asked to be excused. She flew upstairs, took the fastest shower on record, slammed a toothbrush through her mouth, donned her PJs, and presented herself to her parents back downstairs before either of them had even finished their salad. Ready for the sewing party, Ruby declared proudly. Steady as she goes, little miss sews a lot, her dad said. We're still finishing dinner? Before her dad could even finish the sentence, Ruby's mom was sailing through the house, a whirlwind of crafty excitement. Fabric, boxes, and threads went flying as Ruby's mother brought out her sewing machine, along with a mountain of crafty who's-its and what's-its. Ah, said Ruby's dad, smiling. Then, I guess let the sewing party begin. I'll just be in the kitchen doing the dishes. And the sewing began. Ruby caught on quickly under the helpful and guiding eye of her mom's instructions. Between her mom's help and the sewing kit's instruction book, she soon felt very comfortable and very much the seamstress. The first project was the fox, getting his little button nose on just right and tying off the thread were the only tricky part, and she soon had it together. The needle shone in her small, quick fingers as she worked, and the buzzing, purring feeling seemed to creep from her fingers all through her body and then into the little stuffed fox as well. 
Her dad made some tea and they sat around the table, her mom working on her own crafty projects, her dad cracking jokes about sewing and telling stories, and Ruby working steadily and happily, her needle flying through felt, dipping and turning and seeming to almost direct itself as next the parrot and then finally the turtle into soft, stuffy life on the table in front of her. Her mom and dad oohed and awed at the little animals that she had made. Neither of them mentioned a feeling of humming or buzzing or purring when they picked them up, though, so Ruby kept that part to herself. She tried her very best not to let any of the yawns escape from her sleepy, tired body, but she couldn't. She yawned a huge yawn. All right, Ruby, let's get you to bed, her mom said, a sad, almost apologetic smile on her face. Bad dreams every night for three years were enough to make even Ruby's parents a bit wary of bedtime. Ruby sighed, then yawned again. Okay, she said. She packed her thread and leftover materials carefully back into the kit and lay the shining needle. Did her parents even notice its soft, hazy glow? Back into its small wooden holder. She tucked it all into the back room with her mom's own sewing steps and then upstairs to bed. Ruby brought her new pets upstairs with her. Their warm, steady thrumming when she held them close to her body was a lovely and reassuring feeling. She went through her bedtime checklist. She closed the closet doors. She closed the windows. She closed all the drawers of her dresser. She had her parents check under her bed twice. She lit the 12 nightlights that surrounded her bed. She got a fresh glass of water and put it on the bedstand. Finally, she crawled under the covers. She clutched the little button-eyed stuffed fox, parrot, and turtle to her chest and snuggled into them as tight as she could. The thrumming was soothing and calming, and she found herself for the first time in a long time, falling to sleep without any resistance. She slept, and, of course, she dreamed. Oh, but what will she dream, dear reader? Dear listener, to be continued, after a word from our sponsor, and maybe a song. Yes, indeed. Speaking of pancakes, was I talking about pancakes? About our breakfast adventures and how pancakes are just all over the place? Well, good thing we have the following sponsor to help us with all the pancakes that we need to have over this next week. Take it away, pancakes. Hey, you. Yeah, you, listening to the radio. Do you love pancakes? Of course you do. Everyone loves pancakes, and that's why you should be subscribing to Pancakes the Magazine. Every month, we'll send you Pancakes the Magazine. Our cover feature this month, David's Grandmother's Buttermilk Pancakes from New Hampshire. See the giant, heavy, spongy, covered in homemade maple butter delicious, amazing pancakes right there on the cover. See our special features. How much syrup should you drink every day? When to take breaks from pancakes, maybe when you're sleeping, when you're making a new batch of pancakes while swimming. Read about our topping shootout. Maple syrup versus fake syrup versus jam versus powdered sugar versus yogurt versus cinnamon and sugar versus sour cream, lemon and ice cream versus Nutella. See it all. Read about Cynthia Bergenson, a.k.a. the Pancake Monster, a five-year-old who will only eat pancakes from Lake Forest, California. Read the touching story of Pancakes Without Borders, 
amazing, big-hearted chefs who go around the world cooking pancakes for people who have never had pancakes. And, of course, leaving them with a book of collected pancake recipes and ingredients. Our feature this month is on Syrup Face, the all-pancake-slash-breakfast-themed punk band. How do they survive on tour? Well, they bring their own pancake mix. That's how. In medical news, you can read the Dr. Buttershins report. Pancakes are a direct source of happiness, so says Dr. Buttershins. Happiness is directly related to the amount of pancakes someone has eaten. He's a doctor, folks. He can't be wrong. All this and more every month in Pancakes, the magazine. Subscribe now. got snuggled up with her little felt animal and fell asleep. Well, she slept, of course, and she dreamed. She dreamed that she was at her house in the kitchen and that it was somehow also a mustard factory, but that the mustard was not organized right and it was refusing to wear socks. All of this was making the piles of clothes waiting at the dinner table very upset and they kept falling over, making large messy piles of clothes on the ground. Ruby was trying very hard to get several bottles of yellow mustard into striped black and white socks when she heard a roar. She turned around and her kitchen was no longer her kitchen. It was a hazy parking lot. And coming through the empty parking spaces, charging around light posts, was a very scary monster. It was not a new monster. It was the monster that she called the Rotten Doggator. It had the body of an alligator and scales and a giant tail and four great big claws, but its head was a cross between an alligator and that dog that had scared her and chased her that one time when she and her friend had gone to the park after school. She felt the fear and the awful terror bubble up, and she turned to run, but she felt slow, and her legs didn't seem to pay any attention to her. The parking lot was slowly turning into the big lawn and the play area at her school. She turned around. The giant scaly brute was close. Its mouth of giant spiky teeth was right in front of her, and then, just at the moment when she would normally have screamed, the mouth would have closed, and she would have woken up, panting in bed. Something entirely different happened. 
Out of nowhere, a great turtle came hurtling through the air, being carried by a large parrot. And like an arrow from a bow, the parrot heaved the turtle along, sending it straight into the spiky open mouth of the dog-a-gator. Ruby heard the turtle hollering in a relaxed, slow voice, echoing from deep inside its shell. Bombs away! The dog-a-gator's jaws closed on the turtle shell just in front of Ruby's very surprised face, and she watched as all of those sharp teeth crashed, splintered, and broke into pieces as they hit the turtle's mighty shell. Hello, my reptilian friend, she heard the turtle say calmly. It seems you're going to need a dentist. Might I recommend my great uncle Carl? He's brilliant. He works a bit slowly, but then again, he is a tortoise. She felt something brush against her legs. She jumped back. Easy there, kid, came a raspy voice. It's just your old pal, Foxy. We're here to help. Ruby stared down. There was a sleek red fox sitting at her feet, its thick, gorgeous tail curled about his legs. Where it touched her, she could feel a familiar, reassuring thrumming. You're, you're my fox. You're my stuffed fox, Ruby stammered, still aware of the dog-a-gator working very hard to shake a laughing turtle shell out of its toothless mouth. Squawk and me, young miss, never ignore a parrot. It's the kind of thing that we dislike more than anything. A beautiful and brightly plumed parrot landed gently on her shoulder. Ahem, called the low, echoey voice of the turtle from inside of his shell. Introductions after we've finished our job, eh? Come on, Foxy, Polly, lend an old turtle a bit of help. Yeah, quite right, the fox called, puffing its chest out. The sly, the eye, and the armor are finally back. Time to remind these dreams of their manners. If you please, miss, we could use a giant cage just over there where the piles of clothes are playing soccer, squawked the parrot, taking flight. Ruby looked and was not surprised at all to see piles of clothes playing soccer on her school's lawn. Because that's just the way the dreams are, aren't they? A, a giant cage? Wait, what? How do I do that? Ruby was confused and still rather distracted by the growling, thrashing dog-a-gator still right in front of her. It's your dream, kid, the fox said as it snapped and yipped at the monster's back leg, leading it away from Ruby and towards the soccer player. We're deep inside your imagination. You can create anything you want here. You are the dreamer. Just concentrate on a giant cage and... He dodged a scaly swipe of the tail. Put it right over here, but uh, quickly, if you don't mind. Ruby had never seemed like a master of anything in her bad dreams. They had seemed like a tidal wave of scariness that seemed to pull her underwater. But for the first time in her seven years, she felt like maybe she could do something in this dream world of hers. Yeah, that's the spirit. We can feel the dream threads listening to you. Rock, tell them what to do. Weave us a cage, the parrot called out as it darted in and out of reach of the dog-a-gator, scratching at its eyes and face with, it, with her claws. Ruby thought. She focused. She relaxed. She wasn't afraid in her dream, and that in itself was a great and wonderful and new feeling. She thought about a giant cage, a cage big enough and strong enough to lock up a thrashing dog-a-gator. She looked out at the field where the piles of clothes, now eating mustard sandwiches, were sorting socks, and the cage appeared. Huzzah! called the voice from inside the turtle shell. Now, if you'll allow me to get out of here... 
the turtle's back legs poked out for just one second, and a mighty push propelled the shell out of the monster's jaws. The fox and the parrot carried and harassed the confused and retreating creature straight through the open gate of the cage. It backed its way in, and, just in line with Ruby's thoughts, the cage gates slammed shut with a triumphant ring. The doggator thrashed and growled and glowered in its cage. Rock one doggator down, called out Polly the parrot. And a clear sign and reminder to all the nightmares of the dreamscape that the sly, the eye, and the armor are back. And we found a wonderful dreamer who's wonderfully capable, eh, turtle? The fox called, prancing back to where Ruby stood. The turtle poked his head out of his shell, plopped out his arms and legs, and took a long, slow look around. Yes, I'd say we're off to a smashing start. What? Uh, my dear girl, please allow us to formally introduce ourselves. The three animals gathered by her feet. I am Turtle, the tortoise, known as the Armor, here in the dreamscape, at your service. The turtle bowed his head. I am Polly, the parrot, known as the Eye, here in the dreamscape, at your service. The parrot bowed, sweeping a brightly plumed wing before it. And I am Foxy the Fox, known as the Sly, here in the dreamscape, at your service. The fox stood on his back legs and bowed low. We are sworn to uphold the balance of the dreamscape to make sure that the creatures in the darkness of nightmare don't go running amok, and to make sure that dreams behave themselves according to the rules of the dreamscape, of course. And uh, speaking of uh, dreams behaving themselves, the turtle said, I believe we have a dog-gator to dispose of. Sure do. Squawk Polly, Miss Dreamer, if you'd be so kind. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, do what with what? Stammered the very confused Ruby. Oh, right, that. Well, it's a creature from the land of nightmare, combined combination of your own fears of the dog that chased you long ago, combined with a healthy fear of big scary beasts. Rock, you made it. It's yours to unmake. Send it away, back to the land of nightmares where it will dissolve into the raw ingredients of alligator, dog, and fear all over again. How do I do that? Squeaked Ruby. Yeah, the same way you made that cage, my dear, the turtle patiently continued. Just pull on its thread. Wish it. Imagine it gone. Imagine it to be unmade, dissolved. We're in your imagination's world. You just need to take the control back. We're here to help make that happen. Ruby nodded. She looked at the doggator. It was still glowering. It glowered at her. She looked at the cage that she had imagined into existence. She was rather pleased and impressed with herself. She began to imagine the cage empty. She focused on getting rid of the doggator. She wished it gone. And it was. Well, 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 quite a powerful dreamer we've found, my friends. The turtle beamed. Well done, child. I am Ruby Scott, Ruby said, at your service. And she bowed to the three of them. Well, Ruby, you're quite a dreamer. Your dreamscape is bubbling with powers all over. Yeah, no wonder the monsters and nightmares are so active around here, the turtle said, scratching his chin. Seems that in our absence, the decorum and manners of the dreamscape have gone somewhat, uh, lacking. I'll bet she read, Fox equipped. All the best dreamscapes are the ones that read. Now that the doggator was gone, Ruby was finally starting to look around with clear eyes. The piles of clothes were no longer eating sandwiches. In fact, they weren't at the school playground at all. They were in a room with wood floors and walls and a smell of warm tea or maybe cider coming from somewhere. Perhaps someone was cooking bacon. Ruby 
was feeling comfortable and relaxed, and questions began to pour out of her. Wait, 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 how did you end up in my dreams? Where did you come from? What were you doing in that sewing kit? What? Why have I been having all these bad dreams? Will you guys come back? What do I do with you stuffed animals? What about the needle? And on and on and on. She was like a question waterfall. The fox interrupted gently, laying a paw on her legs and licking her face. Ruby, my dear, I'm afraid your questions will have to wait until tomorrow night. We'll be with you. We'll be with you every night. We've been woven into your dreamscape now. But if my nose is right, and it always is, I believe your dad has gotten up and made some rather delicious bacon and eggs with... Ah, yes, buttermilk biscuits, I believe. It is morning time, and you're going to have to wake up for school. And before Ruby could ask another question about dreams, the sly, the eye in the armor, or even if she had actually slept through the whole night, which she hadn't done in three years, the wooden room faded. The animals faded. The dream, as she said, popped and she was waking up in her bed, in her room, at her house. The smell of baked biscuits, bacon, and eggs was wafting all about her room, and she was clutching tightly to her chest the warm, humming bodies of her stuffed fox, parrot, and turtle. She headed down to breakfast, rested and refreshed for the first time in so many years. Ruby Scott was awake. Scots. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of part one of our tale, The Sly, the Eye, and the Armor. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying this is a to-be-continued story, but I'm just saying that maybe there could be another story in the future. But if the story police are listening, if anybody reporting to the story police is listening, this is not a to-be-continued story. End of story. The end. Finito. Had to, had to say that. You guys know why. Um, I believe it is time for a song. And so we're going to get into a song here. Um, and this is a song uh, about animals. Some people have favorite animals, and it's great to have favorite animals. You can have all kinds of favorite animals. But it is important to know that even if you have different animals that are your favorites that you think are great, there is only one kind of animal that is the best. Blue, check, check. Is my mic on?
What is down that alleyway? What's around that corner? Why is that white tower there with those numbers on it? Nobody knows. These are the things that it's up to us to discover. Speaking of strange local mysteries, it's been a while since we shared this story with you, but I think it's high time. You might be just a liner looking out your window. on hardwood floors better than a fresh, soft, slick pair of new socks. Nothing says I love you and I want your feet to be roasty, toasty, and comfortable like the gift of socks. Yes, socks. The best thing to happen to cold feet ever. Socks are available pretty much anywhere some restrictions apply. Remember not to wear only socks when outside, especially if it's wet out. Wash socks regularly or you will have very stinky feet. 
gentlemen. Thanks for hanging out with me, Doug Blandstrom. Slow talking, low talking cowboy of the radio waves. Man, that would have been so fun. Hey, next time this happens, let's just do that the whole time. We'd like to thank our sponsors Cheeseland, Ketchup, Pancakes the Magazine, and Socks. I'd like to thank Shell Silverstein and Roald Dahl for their inspiration and everything that they have added to the world's stories. Thanks so much to John, to Jared, and Rob here at KPCA. Thanks to the Rivertown Voices for those awesome, awesome radio jingles. Um, we are Benedettiville's Small Town Adventures, ladies and gentlemen. We're here every Sunday from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. We'll be back again next week. This will become a podcast on Wednesday. You can find all the other Benedettiville information you would ever want at Benedettiville.com. If you can spell it, then you can check it out. That's the reward. Thank you all so much. We hope you have an absolutely fantastic week, and we'll look forward to seeing you again next Sunday.